You're listening to Blessed, Living the Good Life According to Jesus, a study of the Beatitudes. For more information, visit our website at crosspointptc.com. thousand ways on Twitter every single day, and each of those 15,000 ways have a different meaning. And so this whole series is looking at what does it look like to be blessed? What does it mean to truly be blessed? Because we see 15,000 people think blessed is something else, and, and it's different from one another. And in the first two weeks, we looked at Jesus is giving this sermon on the mount. He's talking about the kingdom of God, and to be blessed is to be in the kingdom of God. To be truly blessed is to know Jesus Christ. Now, we're not trying to change language here. You can say you're blessed and not feel guilty. You can hashtag blessed. We don't have to be freaks about it. You can say, man, that was really a blessing. I feel like God has blessed me. You know, that's not the aim, but the aim is to truly get to the root, to say what is being blessed really, and it's to know Christ. And if you don't know Jesus today, if you're not a Christian or if you're a fake Christian, because lots of those go to church too, my prayer is that you would stop being fake. My prayer, if you're just not a Christian adamantly, is that you would meet Jesus today. And you would experience what a blessed life truly feels like. That you would feel the loving hand of God upon you. That you would shake off all of your past experiences with, with bad religion and mean pastors and, 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 and crabby choir ladies that used to stand on the stage. And why does she get to sing in her moo-moo and I don't? You know, I want to sing in my moo-moo. I, my, you know, my prayer is that you would be able to strip through all of that existential nonsense that has sort of clouded your view of Jesus and that you would get an explicit experience with Jesus this morning. So let's pray and we'll get started. God, we love you. Um, we're, we're thankful for Samantha. Continue to pray for her and her family, God, uh, that you would bring them um, comfort as they mourn. That's what we're talking about this morning, God. Um, mourning uh, the effects of, of, of this world, God, uh, mourning death that you have conquered, and, and, and Jesus, that, that she would be comforted, that we would be comforted as, as her brothers and sisters, as we mourn with her, Christ, um, and, and just pray that for everyone else in here who's mourning this morning, that they would be comforted in you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray, amen. Isn't it kind of weird, like, like this is a weird one. I was like, oh, man, I get to come back from Florida and preach. Blessed are those who mourn. Sweet. That's just a, that's a good one. And, and, and I, I think this has been misunderstood. I think it's been mispreached. Like, I think, I mean, there are monks that, that, used to, um, that used to walk around with their heads down. They would run into things because they, they, they were so rigid. They thought they had to be mopey and they, they had to, you know, just run away from, from temptation as much as possible that they would cause physical harm to, to, to each other because they'd run into each other. And then there was other monks that would, they would carry and they would swing these, like, um, chains. And the chains would have, like, little knots on them and, and spikes and, and, and sort of like razor blades. And they would cut themselves as they walked to remind themselves that they're supposed to be morose. And, you know, I've heard people preach, we're like, well, there's nowhere recorded in Scripture that Jesus laughed, but we have all this Scripture of Jesus mourning, and that is true. But, the, but I don't think that truth means that we have to be sour grapes and sour apples. I don't think that's what Christ is preaching in his message. I'm like, you're talking about the guy who's preaching this message, right? And so 
I don't think we understand mourning properly, and I, and I think this gets mixed up. Um, and, 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 and I look at this, and I'm like, man, like, people who mourn are blessed. You know, you Georgia fans are like, man, Josiah, you're, you Tennessee fans must be blessed out the wazoo. You guys just mourn that loss every week. You guys be quiet. You guys are bullies, and I don't appreciate your humor. Um, how dare you say that to me? Yeah. And, like, and, and, and our world tells us, press down the pain. Cover as much of the pain as possible with pleasure. Try to push it down. Try to alleviate it. And, and, and here are some things that, that we look at uh, that, that the media throws our way. Let's look at this first one. Best Buy, you happier. That doesn't make any sense. That's the stupidest marketing. I mean, like Don Draper would kick that guy in the face and throw him out of that window onto Madison Avenue. That's a Mad Men reference. But seriously, if you go to Best Buy, you are going to be happier. And then they spent money on the trademark. That's pathetic. Let's go to the next one. Coca-Cola, open happiness or an upset stomach. Have you ever put a nail in a can of Coke? You're putting that into your body. I don't care what they say. I'm drinking that. It's delicious. Open <laughs> happiness. Coca-Cola. Let's look at this next one. For a healthier house and a happier home, pour chemicals into the place your children bathe. <laughs> put chemicals on the plates where they put their food because that's safe. That's what makes you healthy. Put I'm sorry, that's a chloride. But seriously, that jug is 40 pounds. There's no way that lady, she's not a CrossFit girl. She's not, like, like, I've carried those things from the car to the kitchen, and I didn't pick it up since, but that thing is head. But seriously, they are, they are telling us if you want a healthier house, if you want a happier home, if you want to be blessed, then buy Clorox. Whereas in Alabama, they say Clorox. Let's look at the next one. Get in, get happy. Volkswagen. Telling us if you buy a Volkswagen, if you dress like this, you <laughs> will be happy when you get in this car. Look how, look how awful the car next to it is. It's bland. It's got the fake rims. Like, they've purposely done this. Look at that awful. Like, he works just a nine-to-five job. Those windows aren't his. His office is in the back, in the corner, you know, next to the bathroom and the copy machine. But if you get in a Volkswagen, then you will be blessed. You will be happy. Let's look at this one. Winning takes care of everything. Tiger Woods, world number one. Shortly after this campaign run, it came out that he cheated on his wife over and over and over again, and he did so bad on the golf tournaments that it would have been like watching me play out there. They'd be like, and next, Tiger Woods is up, and you'd be like, isn't that Josiah? And I'm just like, four, bam! Like, that's how bad he played, as if I played golf on the Masters or the PGA. But seriously, Tiger winning doesn't take care of everything because he's lost everything, and now he's not even close to number one in the world. And then finally, you'll recognize this, the Happy Meal. If you put this poison in your children, they will be happy. I don't, I don't care what you guys say. Like, they, it could come out that there's anthrax in a Big Mac, and I'm still eating it. That is delicious. I do not even care. I will, I will eat a Big Mac and then drink a bottle of silver and be okay. That is what I will do. But look at that. They got the apples. They don't look like that. The fat-free milk, that's not true. And there's no toy. But um, 
But seriously, this, this is the happy meal. I grew up with the happy meal. I want to be happy, so I'm going to go get a happy meal. But all of these communicate, eat this, drink that, do this, buy that, visit here, visit there, and you will not experience pain. You can ignore it. Don't mourn. Just do these things, and everything is going to be all right. But Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And he doesn't mean that the Christians should mope around with a woe is me attitude. We should be the happiest, most joyful people who laugh all the time, not because things are going great, but because we know Jesus. There, I mean, some of the times I've laughed the hardest have been in, in some of my most painful states, experiencing deep suffering, but there's joy that comes from knowing Christ. And, and that's, what, that's, what, that's what the writer uh, says. That it's, it's the peace. I think it's Paul says the peace that passes all understanding. I have no idea why I'm okay right now. My world is falling apart, but everything is fine. It's because we know Jesus Jesus is saying that the blessed person mourns their sin, okay? The first beatitude is intellectual. The one that Jason preached last, last week, the, those who are poor in spirit, that's, that's a knowledge place. That's an understanding of, of position in reference to a holy God. I am poor in spirit. I have spiritual poverty because I am filled with sin, I am separated from God who is holy, and I'm not. That is an intellectual understanding. The next beatitude is an emotional response to the intellectual knowledge. I am filled with sin. I am separated from God. I see myself as I truly am, and I mourn that. I mourn my sinfulness. I mourn the sins that I've committed. I mourn the sins of my community. I mourn the sin that is in the world. And Kent Hughes says that out of the nine verbs used for mourning in the New Testament, this is the most intensive. And the, the understanding is that the mourning is continuous. So the Christian perpetually mourns, therefore the Christian perpetually repents. Martin Luther says all of life is repentance. If you are not repenting, you're doing it wrong. There's no spiritual level of arrived. There's no hierarchy. There's no, there's no Christian. You don't become a veteran Christian or an elite Christian. That doesn't exist. If you and I gathered hands around the cross of Christ and you read your Bible 40 times and I read my Bible three times and you read your Bible no times because you just got introduced to Jesus, we would find that we could build a house on that ground immediately because the foot of the cross is level. I look the same as you at the foot of the cross and beyond. In reference to Christ, we are all the same. We are sinners in need of grace, and none of us are better than one another. That's the lie that we like to believe. That's the lie that we like to tell. That's the lie that we like to engulf so that we can feel better, but it is not true. All of life is repentance. If you're not repenting, you're, you're doing it incorrectly. And, and, and Pastor Harvey Turner says this. He says that, that some of you walk around and you try to, it's this weird self-idolatry thing because you try to figure out how much of a percentage of you is sinful. 
or how much percent of this decision was sinful? Well, I think that I, well, my heart wasn't really right in that place. It was probably about 40% sinful, or, and that decision wasn't fully rooted in Christ. So it was you know, about 2% sinful. And, and he said he just got to the place where he was like, that is exhausting. Keeping tabs is exhausting. And he says, you know what? I just live my life. I just pastor people. And I know that I'm going to be sinful in everything I do because I have a sin nature. And so I trust that God's grace is going to be evident in my life. It's going to cover the places where I mess up. And the same grace that God uses to cover my sin is the same grace and kindness that's going to lead me into repentance to ask forgiveness when I mess up. And when I sin and when I make people mad and he said, and it's just the weight that comes off of you when you stop keeping religious tabs is incredible. It's amazing. You no longer have to perform. I don't have to come up here and pretend to be cool for you guys. I don't have to come up here and pretend to be super hyper spiritual and I never mess up and, and just be crushed under that weight. I just get to come up here and minister to your souls and say, I'm your pastor and I love you and I'm going to do that to the best of my ability, but I'm going to screw up. And when I screw up, hopefully I'll walk in repentance and we can reconcile because, I mean, the only thing that separates you and me is a microphone and 12 inches. Really, we're sitting at the foot of the cross, submitting to Jesus. And theologically, we believe Jesus is actually physically speaking through me right now. Don't let that scare you. We have Bible verses for it. And the Holy Spirit is empowering my words. So yes, there is something happening right now, but I am a vessel that's being used. I'm not impressive. I'm a jar of clay. And you're jars of clay. And Jesus is going to use you in amazing ways. If you're not a Christian, I've, I've, let me explain Christianity to you. For all of us, there's, there's bad news and there's good news. Um, the bad news is that when God created everything, uh, we screwed it up. Humanity disobeyed God, and we suffered a separation from God. We suffered a spiritual death, and there's no way to get back to God. You will not get to heaven and, 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 and God say, hey, how, you know, so why should I let you in? And be like, well, I was a pretty good dude, and I wasn't as bad as Stan down the street. He's, he's, he's back there in the line. You'll get to him. You know, God's going to be like, none of that merits you entering heaven. The only way you get to heaven is through Christ. And here's why. Because you suffered a separation from God, there was a chasm between you and God. If you're not a Christian today, there still is that chasm. You are, st you are still spiritually dead. And you will await physical death and then judgment before God, as we all will. But because you don't know Jesus, you will go to eternal separation from God. We call that hell. And if I don't tell you that, that's an abomination. How, how much would I have to hate you to tell you, to not tell you that if I believe that? There's a magician. One of the magicians of Penn and Teller said that. He said, if you truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that people are going to hell, how much do you have to hate somebody to not warn them? If that's what you actually believe, how much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them destruction is ahead? It'd be like seeing a cliff on a road and being like, oh, man, that guy's driving off that cliff. We'll just watch it. You know, No, you would run and swing your arms and flag them down. And the thing is, is as we are separated from God, God lovingly inserted himself in the process. He could have let everything play out. We could have been eternally separated from him altogether, enter into destruction. But he didn't. He sent his son Jesus, and Jesus entered into humanity. He humbled himself. He went from his place of glory to a manger 
and he lived the perfect life that you and I can't live. All the things that we screw up, he didn't screw up. He died the death we should have died that we call it a substitutionary atonement. He atoned for our sins. He was our substitute on the cross. God punished Jesus by pouring his wrath out on Jesus. Everything we've said, done, thought, will do, say, do, or think, it was put on Christ in that moment. Jesus was punished and killed for it. It's finished. When, when the author John writes, it is finished, do you know what the Greek verb is? You don't, because I didn't either, and I had to look it up. It, it's it, it, really what it should say is Jesus said it is finished, it will be finished, and it will continue to always be finished. You don't bring anything to the table, brothers and sisters, except your sin. And God put that on Jesus, and he killed him, and then he raised him from the dead. And three days later, he conquered the sin that entangles us. He conquered death using death. That's awesome. Satan was like, Here's death, and Jesus flipped it around like Denzel Washington in the Equilibrium movie, or the Equalizer movie, and just pointed it right back at him. And he killed death, using death. That's awesome. And Jesus has provided a way back to God. And that's the good news, is if you're not a Christian today, you can have a relationship with Jesus. It involves repenting of your sin, turning from your sinfulness, and turning to Christ and saying, Jesus, I, I want to follow you. And you're not going to do it perfectly. And you're not even going to do that part perfectly. Like, you'll probably be like, God, me? You know, like, that could be your salvation experience, right? And that's okay. Like, there's, it's, there's not, like, a right way to do it. We're not going to make you walk the aisle or ask Jesus into your heart. We can dispel that out of context verse later. Um, it, but seriously, just coming before God and saying, I'm yours, rescue me. And then you enter into right, right relationship with God. You are covered by the righteousness of Christ. Jesus gives you a new heart. He puts his Holy Spirit inside of you and you're reconciled to God. So at the day of judgment, you come before him and, and, and God says, why should I let you in? And you just point to Jesus and he goes, okay, cool. To get into heaven, it's all about who you know not what you've done. It's the VIP lounge of the celestial whatevers. Here's a concise explanation I wrote down. The true Christian is brought face to face with their spiritual poverty. They recognize their deep need for a savior when they see that when they see that they mourn their sin because that is what separates them from true joy and peace and rightness with God. And it's that same sin that was put on their Savior and killed so they could be reconciled to God. It's all grace. It's not anything we do. But Jesus doesn't leave us at mourning because Jesus never leaves us at mourning. The best part about Christianity. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Kent Hughes says this. We'll pull it up on the screen. Notice that this comfort is actually immediate. Don't misinterpret the future tense, which is used merely to sequence mourning and comfort. The actual sense of Christ's words is blessed are the mourners, for they shall be immediately comforted, and they shall continue to be so. Jesus tells his disciples this in John 16, 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. That's the world telling us, be happy, we'll rejoice. You Christians go have your own, you know, whatever. We're having fun, you're not. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. 
And the weird thing is the Christian and the non-Christian both experience mourning, but only the Christian experiences true comfort. Paul confirms this in his second letter to the Corinthians when he says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. This is why people can, this is why we get the phrase, specifically in South Atlanta Metro, that that people never learn their lesson. I wish they'd learn their lesson. I thought they learned their lesson. You ever heard that growing up? Yeah. Yeah, people don't learn their lesson. Number one, because they're sinners. We don't ever learn our lesson, you know? Like, there's stuff that I kicked that I I used to struggle with, like, in, in middle school, and I'm like, all right, I'm better. But then I found that stuff's just rooted in this stuff. I'm like, oh, man, I got to repent of that. And I repented of that, and I was like, yes, I'm finally a Christian. I'm good to go. I can be, you know, I can be somebody now. It's just rooted in this stuff. And I'm like, how big is this onion? Like, this is huge, you know? And, and God's grace is just showing me you're actually more sinful than that. You're actually more sinful than that. You're actually, you're actually worse than that. You think you're special? Oh, gosh, wait till a month or now when I reveal this to you. And I'm just like, oh, my goodness. And we'll talk about that and why that's a good thing in just a minute. Look at what Jesus says. Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. The people who mourn are the people who are poor in spirit, which means if you're a Christian, when you mourn, you are immediately comforted. And that comfort comes from a person. It's God, the Holy Spirit. It's not from something tangible. God may use some of that stuff, but it is from the Holy Spirit. Kent Hughes says this, the the very Greek word, gosh, Josh, you are loving this Greek stuff, aren't you? I just see you, you just hands in the air. The very Greek word used here for they shall be comforted has the root from which we get paraclete. Say paraclete. paraclete. Not parakeet, paraclete, which is also used for the Holy Spirit, the one who comes alongside and comforts us. God is relational. It comes in the form of his divine companionship. He's our ally. He personally binds up our sorrows and consoles us. I was driving home from Florida this week, and I was in the van, and um, I was with um, all four of my girls were sleeping, if you count Ruby. Ruby. That's the new one, Ruby Joy. That's her name. I said it out loud. There it is. You can tweet it. Ruby Joy. Ruby Joy Potter. Um, and I started to feel this anxiousness and this anxiety. And it was weird because, like, nothing was wrong. Like, I wasn't nervous about anything. Like, I was coming back to Georgia from the armpit of Florida where it's just, just so hot and humid. It's like you pull into Orlando, you get out of your car, and, like, someone's like, hey, welcome to Orlando. And they throw a blanket on you. You know, it's just like, oh, gosh. You know, and so I'm like, the weather's going to be nice. I'm excited to preach again. I missed you guys. Like, the girls are good. Everybody's healthy. And it was just in the quiet. I was so tempted to put my my headphones in and turn on music and just press it down, just kind of ignore the pain, ignore the anxiety. I was tempted to to pop in some Louis C.K. or just some comedian and just kind of laugh away momentarily this pain that I was feeling. But I was like, no, 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 I'm going to press into this. And I started talking to God. I'm like, what is this? Why am I feeling 
this way. And as I'm entering into this time with God, I start walking in repentance for just this sin. Like, and nothing massive or major that I need to, like, you know, talk to the elders about or anything. But just a sin in my life and, like, in my heart. And I was like, man, I shouldn't have said that or I shouldn't have thought that or I shouldn't have done that. God, forgive me. Help me to do this better. And I just started to walk in that repentance. And as I mourned my sin, I could just feel the anxiety lifting off my shoulders and the angst and the nervousness and the tightness in my chest. You ever get that? When you get nervous, you get those two spots right there and you're like, I need a massage. And it's just, you know, and then they massage you and they're like, oh my gosh, what do you do for a living? And, and I'm like, I'm a pastor. And they're like, okay, this one's free, you know? But <laughs> just like, oh, and I just feel the, the anxiousness and the anxiety lifting off of me. And it was in that moment I realized, yes, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. I was comforted in that moment, mourned my sin. The Holy Spirit came. He ministered to me. And some of you move from, from comfort to comfort to comfort, and you try to self-medicate. You move from drink to sleep to sex to show to food to, to whatever it is that you think will kill and ease the pain for just a moment, and it won't. You will continue to be in pain because living that way is, is how the world tells us how to live and basically what what you're doing is, is you're just you're spraying a numbing agent on a broken body part but you're leaving the part broken and when you mourn your sin and you lean into that the Holy Spirit comes in painfully like a skilled surgeon and he mends what is broken he heals what is wrong he fixes what is incorrect and you walk out of that experiencing the pain in its fullness but when you walk out of it you're healed and the pain doesn't come with you so you can live your life from comfort to comfort to comfort and you can just experience a lifetime of pain or you can press in and you can live your life from morning to morning to morning and experience a life of true comfort the pain never leaves in either of those situations. That's the lie that the world tells you. The pain will always be there, Christian or not. But the Christian is the only one who's truly comforted. That's how much God loves you. That's how much Christ gave for you. He endured insane amounts of suffering so that we could be comforted that is what God does in our mourning. Um, there are three things I think we mourn. I think we mourn our own sin, our own shortcomings. Um, not only the sins we commit, but the sinfulness that's in our heart. Just the fact that we can't get it right. We keep messing up. We keep screwing up. There's a lingering sin that we just can't seem to kick. I think we mourn that. I think we mourn the sin in our community when we sin against one another. Like, just stay here long enough. Someone's going to make you mad. And, and you can't leave and go to another church because you'll just be there for an amount of time, and then someone will make you mad there. And then you'll leave, and you'll go to another church, and someone will make you mad there, and you'll leave, and you'll just live your life never connecting deeply in any sort of community, and you'll just be mad all the time. Who wants to hang out with that person? Not me. I'm not raising my hand. As Christians, we press in. We mourn the sin of our community. We walk in repentance towards one another. We watch God reconcile us and comfort us as people together when we have beef with one another, right? 
I think the third thing we mourn is we, we mourn the world. We mourn the effects of sin. We mourn human trafficking. I think we mourn uh, pornography and the devastation that it brings to families. I think we mourn uh, divorce and, and broken homes. I think, I think we mourn disease. I mean, there's, you know, we mourn Ebola. We do. And, and some of you are, are mourning the three people who have Ebola in America. Well, what about the 20,000 people who have it in Africa? Do you mourn them? You know, or are you just scared you're going to get sick? Drink some silver, you'll be fine. Silver kills Ebola in 10 hours. I'm a doctor. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> that was on the podcast. I had to clarify. We should mourn disease. We should mourn the effects that sin has on our world. We should mourn pain. We should mourn those things as Christians. And that should lead us into the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And I think mourning does this too. Mourning um, produces in us um, a desire to live continually on mission. Um, there we go. Um, here's what happens. When you become a Christian, you're living your life, and then all of a sudden you meet Jesus. If you're not a Christian, you're still here. And my prayer is that you would meet Jesus and experience what happens after this because it is incredible. You meet Jesus, and in your life, you as a Christian should be growing in two areas continually. The first area is your awareness of God's holiness. You should continually be growing. God doesn't get holier. He's always been as holy as he can be. But in your life, as you live as a Christian, you continue to grow. Man, you're holy. Oh, my gosh, you're holy. Like you just grow in your awareness of God's holiness. The other thing you grow in as a Christian is your awareness of my sinfulness. Not my sinfulness, if you're here longer than a week, you'll grow in your awareness of my sinfulness. I mean your sinfulness. Like you as a person, you're continuing. And it's not that you get more sinful. You don't get more sinful or less sinful. You are as sinful as you possibly could be. And you're actually a lot worse than you probably think you are. But we grow in our awareness of God's holiness. And we're like, oh my goodness, we see God's holiness. We grow in our awareness of our sinfulness. And we say, I'm so sinful. And what happens in the Christian life is when you do that, the thing that bridges you to God, that's the cross of Christ, grows larger and larger and larger. You become more aware of how amazing Jesus is. It's why we name the church Crosspoint. Because when we see God's holiness and we see our sinfulness, the only thing that could bridge that is Jesus. And so we take this knowledge and we go on mission, into our communities, into our homes, into our schools, and we tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian and you are here this morning, chances are you're here because someone who loves you very much is currently living on mission and telling you about the glory of Christ or has brought you here to hear about it. And my prayer is that you would be amazed and how much Jesus loves you, and how much this sermon and this whole church service hasn't been about making you feel guilty. We have 80 adults on average here at Crosspoint. One thing we're going to do, you got a note card on your way in. If you didn't get a note card or a pen, raise your hand because you're going to need one. Lydia will bring you one. 
On this note card, you're going to write the names of three people that you love. Three people that don't know Jesus, that you say they need to know Jesus. If you're a non-Christian, you don't have to do this. Or if you're, if you're just like, well, shoot, man, I think I'm okay, but I know some dudes who need Jesus, then write their names down. That's totally fine. You're going to write three people. God has brought at least three people into your life who need Jesus desperately. And he's brought them into your life. And here's the thing, guys. We like to harp on what the church should be doing. You ever heard someone say that? Well, what's wrong with the church today is, I'm like, you're talking about yourself. You are the church. You might as well be saying, well, what's wrong with me today is, you know, and just no one does that. That's insane, right? We got to stop blaming the church. We are the church. If, if, if you see a need, fill it. We don't need to organize a committee under the Crosspoint umbrella to go feed hungry people or go love on these people. If, if you're like, hey, there's homeless people I have a heart for down the road and I really want to go feed them, go feed them. Have you ever thought of that? Go feed them. Get people together, go to the store, buy food, and then go feed them. Don't yell at me because I'm not feeding them. You can do this. You have the gospel in you. You have the Holy Spirit of God in you. You are equipped for ministry. You are equipped to serve the poor. You are equipped to serve the needy. You don't need my blessing to go do those things. You can just go do those things. And if you have such a heart for it, come talk to us. We might want to do them with you. I love helping needy people. I love feeding poor people. I love ministering to people. Like, let's talk about it, but let's not spend time in our living rooms just complaining about how we're not feeding hungry people. Go feed hungry people. You have the gospel of Jesus inside of you, and God has brought people to you to minister that gospel to. As a Christian, And if you're not a Christian, you're here because someone's doing that. Thank you for those of you who have brought people. That truly shows me you believe the gospel you say you believe. Three people. We're going to do three things. We're going to pray for them. We're going to intercede. We're going to pray for these people. And we're going to bring these, these cards to community group. We're going to talk about this at community group. If you're not in a community group, you can talk to Jason in the back. He's the guy with the beard. Um, he's up here. <clears throat> he would love to get you plugged into one. The second thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about how we're going to invest in those people. Some of you, investment's going to look different. It's going to be a neighbor, and you're going to say, well, we're going to have them over for dinner twice a month. That's going to be our investment in them. Some of you work an office job. You're going to be like, there's a guy who has a desk right near the snack machines, and I love snacks, so I'm just going to go by his desk once a day because I get my snack on around 3 p.m., and I'm just going to invest in him or her. Like, whatever investment looks like for you. And then the third thing is you're going to invite people. You're going to invite people into your life. You're going to invite people to Crosspoint. You're going to invite people to community group because that is, that is the best way to assimilate and show people the love of God is to love them where they are and then say, hey, why don't you come with me to, to a place where there's a lot of loving people. We have a really good time. I mean, that's how most of you are here. You got invited by someone who loves you to come here and be loved even more. It's a little, just, we're just having a love fest. Just redeem the word love fest. Isn't that amazing? Like in its right usage that we're having a love fest and it's great. Look at you guys. Try not to laugh like a bunch of sixth graders. 
80 people. 80 people invites three people. And they all come next week to Crosspoint. It's 240 people. We don't even have that many chairs. 240 people get saved. They invite three people. They do the same thing. All of a sudden, we have 720 people. Now we have to knock down all the walls. We don't have enough room. Those people invite three people. That's 2,160 people. You math nerds are lapping this up. You guys are sick. I don't understand you. Those people invite three people. Now we have 6,480 people. They invite three people. That's 19,440 people. They invite three people. That's 58,320 people. They invite three people. And let's just round it up. It's 175,000 people. Because you chose to stop talking about what should be done and why we're not doing it. And you actually started talking to people and loving people where they are and bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. And you stopped being nervous and you stopped being scared and you chanced rejection and you chanced uh, just ostracization in your workplace and you chanced uh, maybe even getting fired. I don't know, but uh, you're going to have job security in heaven, so you know that might be something worth chancing, your job security or, or their eternal soul in hell. I mean, do we really believe what we say we believe? Are we really doing this, or are we just doing this? Just doing what we're supposed to, feeling good? This is how the church could serve me. Is that your attitude? That's my attitude a lot of the time. And by God's grace, he leads me out of that, and he says, you're being selfish. Look at all these people I've brought into your life to minister to, and you're, you're whining about what you don't have. We're never going to see 175,000 people come to Cross Point. We're not going to rent out Turner Field and be Cross Point Field. That's stupid. We wouldn't do that anyway. But I think in five years, if we, because I'm including myself, lived on mission and interceded, invested, invited three people, I think we could see 175,000 people meet Jesus. Because if we live the gospel and we share that and they get saved and then they live the gospel and then they get saved and then they live the gospel, ripple effect, hundreds and thousands of people could be saved if we live on mission, if we act out what we say we believe, if we put shoes on and walk out the door. Not under the law, not, oh man, I gotta see people get saved, but out of joy saying, let me tell you what God's done in my life. And then watch Jesus flex. Watch him do work. Watch him get saved. It's amazing. It starts with us. I hope you're encouraged by that. I hope you're invigorated by that. I hope you're filled with excitement and not stress or, or worry because that's, if that's what you're feeling, that's not the gospel. The gospel frees us. We mourn our sin we're immediately comforted and we move continually on mission so that people would recognize their poor in spirit. They would be moved to mourn their sin and be comforted. And then they would move on mission and so on and so on. Thanks for listening. 
If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, find further resources and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O-S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E-P-T-C dot com.